This is episode number 272, all about my second pregnancy at 20 weeks. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Today's monthly special episode is a little bit different than other months. Usually I talk about a topic related to motivation, mindset, and habits, but this episode is going to be about my pregnancy so far because I was very transparent with my first pregnancy and also the postpartum period with my son, Bradley. And I am doing this because I think it's so important to share different voices, to share different stories, because I know how alone you can feel whenever you're pregnant, whenever you're an athlete, and also just wondering what other people are doing. And this isn't to compare and to be better than or less than, but it's just to hear somebody else's story so that you don't feel alone and maybe you can get some information too. If you love topics in the motivation, mindset, and habits category, make sure that you're subscribed to my weekly newsletter. You can get that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter, where every Monday I send out an article that I write. I share other things like books I'm reading, maybe podcasts that I've appeared on, and also the podcast of the week on my show. If you are enjoying this podcast or my newsletter, thank you very much and share it with your friends. Don't keep me a secret because that's the best way to help information find others. Quick announcement for the plant curious on November 20th and 21st, there is something called the Planted Expo in Vancouver, BC. It's Canada's largest plant-based event of the year with over 200 vegan edible and lifestyle businesses in one place. There's also a stage packed with insightful, informative, and inspirational speakers from around the world. And guess what? I'm one of the speakers. I'll be speaking on the 20th along with Rich Roll, Dr. Matthew Nagra, and John Lewis, the badass vegan, is speaking on Sunday. There's also Drina Burton speaking. There are just so many incredible people that are speaking at this event. And it is sponsored by Boosh. That is the presenting sponsor. And I will be doing an additional speech at their booth that's going to be all about plant-based habits. And that will be Saturday afternoon. So if you want to check out anything plant-based or you want to come see me or any of these other incredible speakers speak, go to plantedlife.com and check out the expo and get tickets. All right, getting into today's topic. And for some reason, I feel a little bit nervous. I just feel a little bit nervous talking about some of my thoughts about pregnancy, some of the things that I have been through, because not everything is perfect. And while I'm okay not being perfect, it's just scary to put yourself out there sometimes. But the reason why I'm doing it is because it's scary to put yourself out there. And I want other people to feel more encouraged, if they are called to do so, to share their experiences. And there's a huge difference, I I would say, from the first time I got pregnant to the second time I've gotten pregnant. From the first time, it seemed like there wasn't very many pregnant cyclists out there or just people not really sharing their stories. And there was a lot of unknowns of what sponsorship support would look like. And spoiler alert, it was a difficult time to be navigating that. There was a lot of uncertainty of what's allowed during pregnancy in terms of exercise and training, which I spent a lot of time interviewing experts in this area to make sure that you could have this information. My first pregnancy was also an entirely plant-based pregnancy, so there was some learning there as well. And I also just didn't know what to expect. I had never had a baby before. I'd never been pregnant before. And certainly not every pregnancy or child is the same. But just generally knowing what to expect has made it a little bit easier. 
So this time around, I would say that I am more comfortable speaking my mind in the sponsorship space and feeling more confident in that because I have an expectation and a hope for what it's going to look like afterwards. And I had the easiest possible scenario with Bradley, my son. I had a natural birth and I didn't have any major complications or major problems. And I was able to get back on my bike to do short, easy road rides about a week and a half after having my son. And I was back to race fitness in three months. And I know that that's very fast and that is not the normal but it kind of gives me a benchmark or at least a starting place or a place that I can hope for for this time. There's also a lot of different variables that I couldn't account for last time. So Bradley was born March 2020. That's right. So for me, March 2020 marks the birth of my beautiful baby boy. But for many, March 2020 is a dark, dark period because that was the start of this global pandemic. And that definitely changed a lot of things for us as well. We were planning on getting childcare. I was planning on racing a full season in 2020. We were planning on seeing our friends and family and having that support to lean on whenever we had a brand new baby in the house. Everything worked out for us. I mean, I know that there are a lot of people that were far, far less fortunate than we were during this and a lot of people whose lives had massive disruptions and even detrimental disruptions. But the postpartum period and everything around it was really different than I had planned because you can't plan for a global pandemic. And we are still sort of in the throes of this. I mean, things have gotten better, much better since then. But I don't know what the world is going to look like whenever my next baby is due, which is ironically March 2022. My next baby is a little girl, and I'm really excited to have one of each and feel very blessed about that. I also feel very grateful that I was able to get pregnant again as I'm getting older. And I also know that it just isn't something that happens for everybody. And just because you had one baby isn't a guarantee that you're going to be able to have two. Choosing when to have a second baby and even if we should have a second baby was where we started. And I honestly will tell you that initially, even after having Bradley for the first several months, I said I'm never having another child because I didn't want to go through the childbirth experience again. And I just couldn't even imagine it. And even growing up, I wasn't somebody that always wanted kids. It was something that just sort of happened. That desire popped up uh, with my husband and I maybe five years ago, and we started talking about it and planning for it. We thought about our second child in the same way that we thought about our first. Would we regret it if we didn't do it? And there was some questions around that. It wasn't a resounding answer, but I thought to myself that it would be really sad if Bradley couldn't have a sibling because when I look back at my childhood and the same for Matt, a lot of it is remembering playing with our sibling. Matt and I as parents also wanted the experience of raising two different people. And it's a little bit scary because Bradley is such an amazing little boy. I can't imagine an, an easier and more mellow and just more loving child than him. So trying not to have the same expectations on the next little baby that pops out and allowing them to be their own person and trying not to compare is something that I'm already struggling with. And I'm sure that that comes with the territory, especially as they start getting older. The timing of it was also a challenging thing because number one, as most people know, it's really hard to time a pregnancy. You can't guarantee that you're going to get pregnant. And once you're pregnant, you can't guarantee that the pregnancy is going to be viable. With Bradley, we were pretty fortunate. I had one miscarriage and decided to take six months break in between the miscarriage and trying to get pregnant again. But I was able to get pregnant pretty much right away. And I was 35 years old at the time. And this time I was 37 years old when we decided to start trying. And the reason we decided to do it when we did was kind of because of the pandemic and because of the things that ensued. I wasn't planning to have my babies be two years or less apart. 
I would have preferred to have a few extra months in there, but for my career, I simply didn't have time for that if I wanted to race another season. And this is a really scary thing I just realized the other day. By the time I get back into racing, it will have been three years since I've raced. And I quit racing because I got pregnant in June of 2019 after a six-month-long race season that I had started early. So 2019, I did race a full season, but I stopped in the summertime. And then there was 2020, which was the year of the pandemic, and 2021, which was more of the pandemic, where a lot of people in the United States were racing. But in Canada, it was a lot harder for us. The border was closed. And if you left and came back, which I could have as an American citizen, I would have had a quarantine for 14 days away from my family. And I was breastfeeding my son at the time. So that just wasn't going to happen. There also was a mandatory three-day hotel stay upon entry to Canada for a long time, and it cost thousands of dollars to do so. So leaving the country to go race in 2021, even if I wanted to, which I did, just wasn't a viable option. And there weren't any races in Canada until later in the summer and in the fall. So I had a decision to make. It was, do I hold off until the fall where I think that I'll be able to race, which I could have if I wasn't pregnant, but not knowing what that's going to be like and not get to race at all the next year because of deciding to do more family planning? Or do I bite the bullet and get pregnant now, which was in the spring and early summer that we were thinking about this, and miss a few races at the end of this year and get to race an entire season next year? And it was a hard decision, actually. It sounds like it's obvious whenever I say it out loud like that. But I had an invite to go race the Swiss Epic, which was a race that I really wanted to do at the end of August. And I really wanted to go do the Bentonville Epic Rides race and the U.S. Marathon Nationals. And racing is still such a huge part of who I am, even though I haven't raced in two years. So we decided to start trying to have a baby. We decided to start trying in March, which would have, if that month had worked out, it would have made the kids less than two years apart. And that would be definitely challenging, but I knew that a couple months of extra challenge was going to be worth it for long-term gain. And that also it's kind of nice to have kids that are close together. So here's sort of how it went down for us. And again, every single person is different with different sets of scenarios, but I just wanted to let you know what we did. So we tried in March and I actually got pregnant right away. I was still breastfeeding at this time The pregnancy only lasted until six weeks, whereby I had a miscarriage, which was frustrating, but not completely unexpected because I am 38. I was 37 at the time. And also I had had a miscarriage with my first. So then we were like, okay, talk to the doctor. Is it okay to try again immediately? And the doctor said, yes. So we tried again in April, got pregnant again in April and had another miscarriage at six weeks, which was a little bit unnerving and a little bit upsetting because two in a row, I was starting to think, well, what does that mean? And I was still breastfeeding again. So I was wondering, I know that you can get pregnant while breastfeeding, obviously. And my period had returned. I can't remember exactly when my period had returned during breastfeeding, but I also know that breastfeeding can also make it difficult to get pregnant. So I'm not even sure if that's what it was. But I had those two in a row. And then May was a crazy month for us because we had to pack up our house and we moved to Squamish. And the whole move was actually quite stressful. (laughs) We had the shipping container and it took two weeks to get our stuff. And the whole move-in process was just this really stressful experience. So tried to get pregnant in May. And I was actually using the P-Sticks just to make sure that I could try to time this appropriately. And if you don't know what that means, P-Sticks, it's you can buy these sticks that you pee on that tell you if you are at your peak hormone level for the month. So you know if you're ovulating and you know that that for sure is a really good time to try to get pregnant. 
So for March and April, I was ovulating on schedule. Like I have a regular 28 day cycle and it was for our first pregnancy. We didn't even use the P6. I just used, you know, trying to calculate based on a 28 day schedule and that worked great. The P6 just helped me give me peace of mind because I really wanted to try to time this. But again, discouraging because of the miscarriages and realizing that you don't have control over these things. But in May, I didn't have a peak hormone period. So I must not have ovulated due to stress or whatever the reasons. I was also still breastfeeding in May. And my son decided to wean himself from breastfeeding in June, which I was surprised because I've heard that some babies, you have to wean them. But he went from four feeds to two feeds to one feeds, and then he just didn't want it anymore. So that made that process really easy. So he stopped breastfeeding in June. Also in June, I got pregnant again for the third time on this cycle. And that time it actually stuck. But I had a lot of anxiety because I had had two previous miscarriages while trying to get pregnant. And for both of those, I was missing a key symptom that I thought was relevant to every single pregnancy, and that was having sore breasts. And I remember with Bradley, when I was pregnant with him, my breasts were so incredibly sore, like really early on, like I couldn't even give my husband a hug. Like it was a really painful thing. But with these first two pregnancies that resulted in miscarriage, I didn't have sore breasts at all. So that was stressful for me because here comes June and I don't have sore breasts again. And I'm wondering, well, what does that mean? Is that normal? A friend of mine who was pregnant said that it was her second pregnancy and she didn't get sore breasts. So I thought, well, maybe it's fine. But basically, I asked my doctor, I had made it to eight weeks, which was past what I had made it to the first two uh, pregnancies I had had in March and April that didn't work out. And I was also past what I had made it to the first time I ever got pregnant before Bradley and had a miscarriage. All of my miscarriages ended around the six-week mark, which is a fortunate time to have that happen if it's going to happen at all. So I asked my doctor for ultrasound. So I got an ultrasound at eight weeks. And you know, I'm really nervous. I'm laying there on the table. And then the, the ultrasound tech says to me, I have something to tell you. And in my mind, I'm like, this is not what I want to be hearing right now. She's going to tell me that it's not viable. And, you know, this didn't work out again. I can't believe this. What does all this mean? And she told me something that I completely was not expecting to hear. And it's really hard to shock me. And I was mouth agape, completely speechless for quite a while. And she said to me, you're having twins. So I'll let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> Twins was not something that I had ever wanted or thought about or even considered because there aren't any twins in my family. The whole pregnancy process was something that we done naturally. There was no hormonal enhancements. There's no IVF like where some of those things can sometimes make having a twin pregnancy more common. Things that do make having a twin pregnancy more common is being over 35 and subsequent pregnancies. So it's not uncommon to get pregnant a second or a third time trying to have a second or third child and have that end up in twins. I admit that that news was not welcome news. And some people, there's a lot of talk around twins. I did a ton of research. In fact, I read books on how to raise twins. Like I went all in because I'm somebody that likes to have as much control as I can and to have as much knowledge as I can around a subject so that I feel prepared. What I learned, it was called the die-die twins, which means that they're in two separate sacks. And that's the easiest type of twin pregnancy. But I was super worried. Like, what is this going to mean for my body? I Googled what it looks like to have full-term twins, what, <laughs> what your body looks like, what that recovery processes look like. I was thinking this might be the end of my career because how am I going to have a toddler who is two years old, who just turned two years old, and twin babies? And at this time, we had no childcare. Like, how am I going to manage all these things? 
I also read, though, that there is a high percentage, greater than 36% chance that one of the twins would not be viable. And it seems crazy to hope for that. And I feel kind of guilty saying that out loud, but I'm just being honest. That was something I was hoping for despite having previous miscarriages, but I just really didn't want to have twins. I never wanted to be a family of three. Our life just wasn't set up for that. And if that had happened, I know for sure that we would have found a way to make it work and we would have been really happy with those things. But I was in the back of my mind kind of hoping that that would happen. But for four weeks, I was pregnant and exhausted (laughs) growing two babies. And it was super hard. Like my husband was going out of town. So I was solo parenting my son for at least five days a month, sometimes more, having no help and being sick, like not throwing up sick, but feeling nauseous, feeling so tired that from growing two babies, it just felt really hard to do anything trying to work during the one hour break I would have during the day during Bradley's nap and after he went to bed. So it was just a tough time. And also all the while keeping it to myself, except for telling maybe one family member that we were having twins because of the chances of it not working out. And I didn't want to go telling everybody in my family that this was the case and then have to change the story. So it was lonely to be in my head about that and to go through that experience. After doing all the reading and all the research, I got to a point of acceptance with it and a point where I was maybe even a little bit excited about it. I had worked on reframing and (laughs) telling myself that everything was going to be fine. And then I went in for my 12-week ultrasound and they determined that one of the babies was no longer viable. So my twin pregnancy turned into a vanishing twin pregnancy. And that's the medical term for it is vanishing twin whenever one of the babies is not viable. And this happens even more than they actually account for because most people don't have an ultrasound at eight weeks. In fact, had I not had that ultrasound at eight weeks, I might not have ever known that I was pregnant with twins. So that is one of the dangers of having an early ultrasound. Because of the nature of the die-die twins being in two separate sacs, it also meant that there was very low risk to the surviving baby and that the pregnancy would continue to be treated as a singleton pregnancy, aka one baby pregnancy. And I had no bleeding, no other complications of any kind after this, and I started to feel better too. There was still a little bit of concern because whenever I would get an ultrasound, and even now, you can still see a small second sac there with unviable embryonic uh, material there. The next interesting thing that I want to share, because I think it's so important to be informed as a woman and as an athlete about your body and about pregnancy, because in healthcare, and sometimes we really have to advocate for ourselves, and it is important to take the advice of your doctor, but it also is important to know if your doctor is actually paying attention to what your file says and to know kind of the general rule of thumb so that you can question it if something comes up that you don't agree with. I'm using this really awesome group in Squamish called Mountainside Maternity. It is a group of maternity family practice doctors. Initially, with Bradley, I used a midwife, and I wanted to use a midwife again, but there's only one in Squamish, and I didn't like the idea of only having one if something were to happen to that midwife or if they got sick or someone else was having a baby at the same time or having to reschedule all my appointments. Like It just seemed a little bit too stressful to only have one provider available. So I was really excited about that. But a thing that happens, um, at least in Canada, is that if you have a twin pregnancy, even if it's a vanishing twin pregnancy, you still have to get consultations from an OBGYN. And an OBGYN is a specialist, and their job is to look for problems in pregnancies. 
So the first OBGYN appointment I went to uh, gave me some news and things that I didn't agree with. But based on all the reading and research I had done, based on all the reading and research I had done in my first pregnancy as well. And this isn't to hammer away at the doctor because doctors are overworked, especially now. There's a lot of different reasons why this could have happened. But my point is that it's important to know yourself and kind of generally know what the rules around pregnancy exercise and just general things are so that you can advocate for yourself if you do come across a doctor who is overworked and having a bad day and maybe making some calls that don't really suit you. So this OBGYN, she didn't, I don't think she had time to even look at my files, but basically what happened was she told me all the worst case scenarios that could happen to me, but then would say, oh, actually those aren't going to happen to you because this is treated as a singleton pregnancy. So lots of anxiety about all these bad things that could happen, but then would say, oh wait, that doesn't apply to you. And then she told me not to exercise, which I thought was really interesting because there was zero complications happening with my pregnancy and there was nothing really to go off of that by. She also told me that I would have to be induced at 39 weeks, which also was false. If you're over 40, they like to induce you early because of placental health, but I just thought that that sounded weird. There's just like a number of things that came up that sounded weird to me. So instead of just saying, no, I'm not going to listen to you, I got a second opinion from another OBGYN. And I also talked to my maternity doctor and everybody said to me that I was in the right, that I am allowed to exercise. There hasn't been any bleeding, any complications of any kind, and that I won't have to be induced at 39 weeks because I have no complications once again. And I am not over the age of 40 and I have a singleton pregnancy that is being treated as healthy. I just wanted to share that little experience with you because if you are pregnant and you've heard something that doesn't sound quite right, it's okay to put up your hand and get a second opinion. I'm not an MD. Most of us listening are not MDs. But again, getting a second opinion can be really helpful if something doesn't sound right. So here we are. And once this podcast is published, I will actually be just turning 21 weeks pregnant. The second trimester has gone really well. I was, as I mentioned, exhausted in the first trimester, primarily because I was Well, primarily because I was pregnant, period, but I was also growing two babies and had a toddler, so that was really difficult. The second trimester for me has actually been better than the second trimester in my last pregnancy. My last pregnancy was difficult because even from the start, I just never slept. I just woke up constantly all night long. I'd wake up and go back to sleep and wake up and go back to sleep, and it felt like I never slept for more than 30 minutes at a time, and that went on for literally the entire pregnancy. This pregnancy, I'm sleeping so much better. I maybe wake up once or twice a night. And now that I'm getting bigger, I have to go to the bathroom more. But I, yeah, once or twice a night. And it's so nice to be able to get that sleep. And it sounds kind of funny to say that because I have a toddler. I have a 19-month-old. But he sleeps well. And we, I've given some resources in the past when I was pregnant and with a newborn. But the book, The Baby Whisperer, And the course, Taking Care of Babies, were two things that we used that were invaluable in many different ways. But our son slept through the night at eight weeks old. He currently sleeps 12 hours a night. And I know that he's a really good sleeper and he's an easy kid. So this is probably not the norm. But the general expectation should be, if you've taken these courses from these instructors, is that your kids should be able to sleep through the night and put themselves back to sleep if they wake up in the middle of the night. So we are blessed with a good sleeper and the knowledge and training that we did so that I'm able to get the rest that I need now. So another interesting thing now is that I almost forget that I'm pregnant because my energy level is normal. And also, whenever I exercise, I feel better than I did. I would say that the highs are higher and the lows are lower. So like when I go out on a ride, if I feel bad, I feel really bad. (laughs) But if I go out on a ride and I feel good, I actually feel way better than I ever felt in my first pregnancy. 
I'm also running during this pregnancy. That was something that I didn't do during my first. And I started trail running about a year ago and hired David Roach, who's been a podcast guest a couple times with the Swap team. So he does some running and even cycling coaching for me. And that's going really well. It's been nice to just incorporate a second sport because it rains a lot where I live. (laughs) And it's kind of nice to just have something that is quick and easy. Whenever you're riding in the rain and it's cold out, there's a lot of clothing, there's a lot of gear, there's a lot of cleanup that happens. And for a super time crunched mom of a little guy, it's nice to sometimes just be able to go out and go for a run. That is the only major unknown that I'm considering is I don't know how long I'll be able to run. And sometimes I worry that, well, what if I fall or what if this and that happens? But I haven't fallen running in a really long time and I'm taking extra precautions to make sure that that doesn't happen. A medical recommendation that was made to me that from the OBGYN that I recently talked to, the one that actually refuted what the other one had said, was she said that I might want to consider not running past 28 weeks because that can be really hard on your pelvic floor. I do have a pelvic floor physio appointment this week just to assess where I'm currently at because I have had some achiness a few different times just to assess where I'm at and just to get a professional pelvic floor physio opinion on where I am as an individual. And I'll be taking her guidance and her advice on what I should be doing for running moving forward. Cycling has been awesome and it's just hard whenever you're pregnant because you weigh more. And that's another thing that I wanted to talk about was weighing more. The body image part of pregnancy is really difficult for some people and the weight gain part is really difficult for some people. Previous to this pregnancy, I was at the lightest weight I have ever been. And that also is something maybe different than Some new moms, but breastfeeding, I breastfed my son until he was 15 months old. That takes a lot of energy. Training takes a lot of energy. And then trying to do it all without childcare is a highly stressful experience. So, and I know a lot of people experience that just because of the pandemic in general. So my weight was a little bit lower than it had been in the past. This pregnancy, my eating habits have not been any different from the first. I eat a whole foods plant-based diet. And of course I allow for treats and meals out here and there. But the weight gain has been more this time. And mentally, that's actually been really hard for me. With Bradley, I gained a total of 25 pounds from start to finish of the pregnancy. And I'm at 21 weeks pregnant and I've gained a total of 15 pounds already. So that is a little bit stressful for me just because it's just a lot more than I did last time. I think by this point I had gained 10 pounds. So five pounds more. That's a substantial weight gain. But I also am trying to give myself the grace of the fact that I started at a lighter weight. So maybe my body needed to put on this weight. And I've also just decided to stop weighing myself altogether. And that's today. I decided that I might weigh myself once a month, but it's not serving me to be getting on the scale every single day and looking at this number that of course is going to be increasing and then judging myself and worrying about what that number means. And this goes for anybody that when it comes to the number on the scale, like the number on the scale has nothing to do with your worth. It's about focusing on having sustainable daily habits that are healthy. So instead of paying attention to the scale, it's like, am I exercising the right amount that works for me? And I am exercising. Well, now I'm back to training what I was during my first pregnancy. But in my first trimester, I couldn't train as much as I was training in my first pregnancy because I didn't have a toddler. I didn't have as much time to train in my first trimester this time. And also, I didn't have the energy because I was pregnant with twins. And whether you're pregnant with twins or not, giving yourself the grace if you're too tired. I was still like training, I would say, maybe seven hours a week. But that was a lot less than I was in my first trimester or my first pregnancy. So 
just giving yourself the grace to meet yourself where you are today and trying not to compare yourself to where you are in the past is really hard. But it's something that if you just try and focus on it and try and hold that front and center, it helps so much. And when I look in the mirror, my belly is bigger this time around too, which is normal for a second pregnancy. It popped out a lot sooner. When I look in the mirror, I just look a lot bigger than I remember myself looking. So just trying to have grace and compassion with that and say like, this is supposed to happen. This is what I'm supposed to look like. This is what a healthy pregnancy looks like. And then going back to my daily actions, am I exercising the amount that feels good for my body? Yes or no. And the answer is almost always yes. And am I eating healthily? Am I eating excess junk food? Am I eating excess sweets? And if you are, or if I am like, that's fine, but just trying to trend in the right direction. And that goes for anybody, whether you're pregnant or not, just looking at your daily actions and your daily habits and trying to focus on getting those right instead of what the number on the scale says. I feel more confident in myself with my exercise because I've done this before. So before I'd be like nervous, uh, how much am I actually allowed to exercise? And I had done all the research, but I had just never done it before. So I just felt a little bit nervous about it. Whereas this time I feel less nervous and I am doing some interval training during this pregnancy, which I didn't have the energy to do last pregnancy and just couldn't even imagine doing. I'm not doing really long intervals. Like my longest intervals right now are only three minutes long, but it's something that I'm able to incorporate almost weekly. And that's something that feels really good. And I'm really excited about something else that has been amazing this time around is that I have changed since I had my son and not in the way that you would think I've changed in a way where I actually have more self-compassion for myself I give myself a break more and I'm able to deal with expectations and the relationship with achievement in a much healthier way than I did before. And it's sort of because it was forced upon me. It was sink or swim in this regard. I actually wrote about this in my newsletter a few weeks ago. You can go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter if you want to get in on this newsletter. And I'm actually just going to read it to you. And the newsletter was titled, My Biggest Personal Change is Apparent. So here it goes. We all have preconceived notions about certain life changes. Before I had my son Bradley in March 2020, I wasn't sure what to expect of new motherhood. Would I change as a person? Would I even like being a parent? What would I be like? And while I have a very strong sense of who I am and what I love to do, I tried to be open to change. If you have a pulse, you've probably wrestled at some point with that harsh voice inside your head. Dan Harris, former news anchor and author of 10% Happier, said so bluntly and perfectly, the voice inside my head is an asshole. And I've certainly struggled with my fair share of very hard self-judgment, unrealistic expectations, and never giving myself a freaking break. It's something I've been working on remedying for a long time, aided with loving kindness meditation and a lot of practicing patience with myself. I learned that the science of self-compassion is a large field of research, and being kind to yourself isn't some woo-woo magic that will strip away your ability to achieve and be competitive. Before I had my son Bradley, I noticed that I was especially hard on myself around making mistakes or not performing up to the standard I thought I should be. Some examples were walking a technical section I had written before, feeling tired, not getting a result in business, etc., and putting so much of emphasis on everything I was doing. When I had Bradley, something shifted, something extraordinary. I finally could be kind and start accepting myself. And I'm not saying that having a kid will do this for everyone, but I do think the combination of having a kid in a pandemic helped me accelerate this level of personal growth. Everything I used as coping mechanisms to squash that feeling of not enough basically got taken away from me. I couldn't work crazy hours anymore. I couldn't train as much as I wanted to. I couldn't travel. I couldn't race my bike. I couldn't spend as much time stuck in my own head. I couldn't achieve things at the same rate because I didn't have the time I once had to do so. 
I had to adapt and focus on what I did have. And I realized that my tendency of compulsive overworking didn't help me at all. The things that seemed like such a big deal didn't seem quite as agonizing. I was able to have more self-compassion and self-acceptance. Doing my best was suddenly good enough. Even saying it's okay to myself diffused frustration. And I gained a little bit of self-distancing from comparison to others and even to my best achievements. I've learned so much, so much more about myself than I could type in an email newsletter or talk about in this one podcast. Having more self-compassion and acceptance happened for several reasons. First, it's the work I front-loaded on self-compassion. I've been working on recognizing that I am enough and I am lovable without achieving one more thing in my life. It's still hard to fathom some days, but having great family, friends, my incredible husband, and even better yet, a son who could give two craps about what my power number is on the bike, if my Instagram account is doing well, how much money I made this year versus last year, or podcast downloads isn't quite as important as it used to be. Those things do matter to me, but after 19 months of becoming a new mom trying to juggle it all in a pandemic, they matter just a little bit less. And being able to let go of that white-knuckled death grip on things I so desperately wanted to control has actually helped me perform better and have a better perspective and relationship with it. I think I had a fear that complacency and acceptance were the same thing. I've learned that acceptance is just an essential element of feeling content and grounded, and you can still kick ass and have big dreams while accepting yourself in the moment. Having Bradley at the very start of a pandemic and living in Canada with stringent public health rules made it so that I couldn't race or leave the country for most of this year. Add that into the year of the pandemic and pregnancy, and that's two years of no racing. That's a big deal because racing and competing have been a crucial part of my identity for my entire life. Previously, I might have gripped to race results and personal relevance. Would people still care what I think if I didn't race my bike? Would I still want to grow as an athlete if I had to take time off from racing and didn't have that carrot at the end of the stick? And note for the curious, I am very excited to race next year, and I'm really motivated to train even when there aren't races on my calendar. And like I said, by the time I race again in June of 2022, it will have been three years since I've done a race, but I haven't missed a beat. I've continued showing up six days a week to train and been even more excited to ride my bike. The answer is that I love racing because I love riding my bike. I ride for the sake of riding, not for the sake of racing. And through a lot of thinking and asking myself questions, I can accept and love myself even if I'm not crushing it at the top level on my bike. There have been lots of days in the last two years where I haven't been crushing it out there. I've just been showing up and doing the work and accepting that where I'm at for that day is good enough. A lot of us have been through a lot in our lives and have a lot of different inputs and you can't expect yourself to be the best you've ever been every single time you go out. You have to start where you are and you have to appreciate and accept that your best is good enough. And that's why I have those. I, I, I made my cycling kit this year with my favorite mantras on it. And I made arm warmers that are also available on Moxie and Grit with all my favorite mantras. And one of them is your best is good enough. Pregnancy was a masterclass in that. This pregnancy is easier mentally because I can love and accept myself even when I have to walk my bike up a climb I could previously race up without a problem, even if I have to walk certain downhills or avoid certain trails. And having a son meant that I couldn't be so self-focused every second of the day. It meant I could find true joy and contentedness in something utterly unrelated to my work and career. And this can be so hard if your hobby and passions become your work and the way that you make money, especially if you, the person, are the focal point of it. 
I'm still going out to achieve big things in life. And I have big dreams, both as an athlete and in my business, but my foundation is stronger. I can now do it from a place of love instead of a place of constriction, craving, and deprivation. And sure, I still have my moments and my days where I struggle, but they happen a lot less. So that was the end of the newsletter that I wrote a few weeks ago. And it has been so much easier having this mindset this time around because it's hard whenever you're changing and everything around you is changing, but you still expect the same results. Or worse, you need those results in order to feel like a whole person. As a quick little plug, if you're interested in working on self-acceptance and self-compassion or any other element of health, whether it be physical, emotional, relationships, spiritual, and especially mental health, I'm here for you. I am a health coach and a lot of my clients are working on these very issues and getting to help them through it is one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. So if you're interested in that, go to sonyalooney.com slash health dash coaching or just go to sonyalooney.com and click health coaching because I would love to be able to help you too. I'm trying to think of anything else about this pregnancy so far. I didn't have any weird food cravings last time. The only food aversion I have this time is red onions, which is kind of weird. It's super cute with Bradley. Like he knows something is going on and he lifts up my shirt and pets my belly and says baby, (laughs) but he also does it to his own belly. So I know that that concept is almost impossible for such a little guy to understand, but it is really adorable to see that. And he's going to be such a great big brother. This time around is also going to be awesome because when the little girl comes, hopefully the country won't be totally locked down and we'll be allowed to see another human being. And with Bradley, we literally did not see a human being other than each other and our son for months and months because we didn't know what was happening with the pandemic and the safety of our son was our number one priority. And we're going to be traveling with Bradley for the very first time ever at Christmas this year. We're going to go down to New Mexico and see my parents. I've never traveled on a plane with a baby. I've never done, well, he's, I guess he's not a baby. He'll be like, 20 months old, but I've never done anything like that with a baby. So if you have any advice for me, I am all ears. If you're interested in some of the previous content that I've put out around pregnancy during my first pregnancy and after, go to sonyalooney.com. You can go to podcast or blog and search parenthood and pregnancy. I have a brand new website that I launched a few weeks ago, and there is a filter there so that you can pick articles and podcasts that are relevant to what you're looking for. And in that category, it's my experience by trimester with my first pregnancy. It has interviews with experts like pelvic floor experts or pelvic floor physio experts and exercise physiologists. It has stories of other mothers and what they've gone through. So I'm just trying to provide a resource for other women who want this information for themselves and their families. If there's something that you want me to share around this pregnancy or there's something that I didn't answer or a question that you have, feel free to contact me. You can contact me on Instagram. I'm at Sonia Looney or you can go to my website and there's a contact form there as well. I'm so incredibly grateful that you are listening to this podcast, that you're hitting that subscribe button and leaving a rating and review every single week. That means the world to me. I hope that today's podcast sheds some light for those of you who are looking for more information or are just curious about what my experiences have been, or maybe you're not pregnant at all. And just some of these topics that I've covered were resonating with you because a lot of these topics are universal. It's just that I'm applying them to what my life is like right now. I'm so grateful to have been doing this podcast for so long. It's been four and a half years of doing this podcast every single week. So grateful for you for listening to the show. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week with a new interview.